Hello and welcome back to the extraneous and miscellaneous podcast. It's been a minute. I've um, been real busy and uh, in a little bit of a transition period in my life. I'm about to be moving once again um, from states away. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how the next week goes. We got a lot of stuff um, on the burner, uh, have some travel plans scheduled for this upcoming weekend. So it's going to be pretty hectic. My hair is giving the uh, the filter a lot of challenges. Uh, and then the recording space and everything will change. So we'll see. Maybe I can pre-record a podcast, get another one up soon. But um, let's dive into one that's, again, pretty topical um, for today and for our current climate. And that would be uh, gas and energy prices. That's something that uh, everyone is pretty focused on, whether you are actively paying attention to it or not, it's something that impacts every one of us. So um, it's a pretty important topic. And just to really demonstrate why I think that's important, we'll start off with a simple explanation. Uh, Everyone's noticed the increasing prices at the the gas pump. And there are many things, many things uh, to blame here. Uh, one of which you'll hear a lot of people blame on the crisis in Ukraine. And yes, that is uh, responsible for a little bit of the spike, but not necessarily all of it. Uh, I see a lot of memes out there, uh, specifically one that I hate uh, with a passion. Every time I see it, I get a little upset. Um, And it goes, you know, educate yourself. The president doesn't set gas prices, which is true. Uh, The president doesn't set gas prices, but the president's actions and the uh, government's actions can have a uh, large impact on um, gas prices as a whole. And you can see that um, in many different ways. So just for example, we'll go ahead and screen share here for those that um, can actually see the uh, digital version and are the uh, video version and not the other thing, (laughs) not the audio version. All right, so we're screen sharing here, just some simple math. Um, So previously, uh, I would say uh, January of 2020, uh, gas was around 180, I remember seeing 176, 178. to fill up my car, which is, it sits around 17 gallons for the tank, would be about $30.60. Uh, $30. So we see that's a lot easier to swallow uh, than what prices we may see today. So let's say it's sitting around $3.80, uh, which I believe it's three eighty nine um, at my closest gas station, $64.60. So not really something that... Uh, I prefer doing every time I go to the gas tank. Um, there's a lot of memes out there too. Oh, people driving big trucks, paying over a hundred dollars. Oh, it's their fault. Well, I mean, it is their mode of transportation. And if they were paying half of that, it wouldn't be as bad. Um, I see there's been a lot of people out there um, saying, and including myself saying, you know, it would be really easy to go electric and uh, it would cut down on the uh, stress going towards the um, oil production and it would be a good way to combat 
uh, Putin when we were buying Russian oil and we're still in the progress of buying Russian oil. There was a 45 day taper down. So we're probably at about 30 days till we stop buying Russian oil completely. So that's good. Uh, the House and the Senate have both pushed forward les- legislation to ban buying Russian oil. So Biden had to kind of beat them to the punch so he wouldn't look too bad. Um, but it was good to see the House and the Senate combine, come together um, on bipartisan action to stop buying Russian oil. And I really have to applaud the Canadians for taking that step first. Uh, they beat us by about two weeks on their push to stop buying uh, Russian oil. Now, Canada does make a lot of oil. They do have a massive supply. So uh, it did make sense for them to go ahead and take that step. I believe the United States gets about half of our oil imported from Canada. And so, um, you know, they do have quite, quite a supply. There's not really an excuse for Canada or the United States, for that matter, to be buying um, oil from outside this continent. Um, this continent could easily stand on its own and we wouldn't have to be influenced by global, um, global events, global policy. So nothing too bad. So we'll go ahead and stop the share, bring it back, bring it back on this beautiful mug. Um, and you know, the, uh, gas prices, they affect everything. Um, you know, we, we have to transport all of our goods, usually through uh, diesel trucks, trains, anything. And anytime energy prices go up anywhere, they go up everywhere. Uh, I saw that wheat just a couple weeks ago was up 63%. And, you know, that goes into, I'd say, most of the food products you see at the supermarket, any kind of snack cakes, any kind of cereal, bread, anything that involves bread, um, except for maybe you gluten-free freaks out there. Um, no dig at you guys, but uh, you really have some weak intestines, so a uh, weak stomach. Uh, I, would, I don't know what you do at Planet Fitness to strengthen your stomach, but I would definitely take that action and um, do some stomach push-ups or stomach strengthening exercises and uh, really work that out, you know. I usually go out and pump some iron, you know, and that's how I keep my stomach uh, in shape to consume gluten because, you know, it's a really manly and masculine thing, masculine, masculine thing to consume gluten. Same with dairy. Um, people, especially in the top sectors of society, uh, look for weaknesses to exploit when you're going into a business deal. So, for instance, if I was a CEO of a company and I knew the other CEO that I was negotiating with had gluten intolerance or if he had you know some kind of dairy allergy uh, i would exclusively serve dairy products um for our lunch you know anything you know cheese danish uh we might have milkshakes you know anything with dairy so i can exploit that weakness and that's how a lot of these uh killer types think so um definitely don't want to be exploited go work out your stomach and fix your gluten and dairy problems because uh nothing bothers me more than when I take someone out for ice cream and they're like, oh, I can't. I'm dairy free. Okay, whatever. Weakling. Uh, enough of that tangent. So uh, one of the big deals aside from um, just the price would be our volume of oil production. So basic economy states that uh, prices uh, go up or down based on supply and demand. So 
if you see, and we'll see some charts in a minute during the COVID period, during 2020, uh, gas prices did fall. And that was because there wasn't as much demand. A lot of people weren't on the roads. A lot of people were staying home. Uh, a lot of people were put out of their jobs due to uh, quarantine and lockdown measures. And so there just wasn't that supply. There also weren't a lot of people traveling, uh, especially not interstate traveling. So, so uh, demand fell and therefore uh, the prices fell as well. Uh, now we have the issue with supply and it's not necessarily worldwide supply. It's domestic supply that's dictating a lot of the prices nowadays because we're having to buy from overseas. So we're having to pay not only for the oil itself, but the including uh, the included transportation and shipping costs. And there's also some environmental dangers there. We'll touch on that. So let's take a look at a uh, graph of oil production and see if we can shed some light on what's going on here. Get that shared. Bam, look at, look at that. So we have uh, some a wide array of numbers. We have it going down, 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 down. And then around 2014, if you guys remember, um, the, uh, the gas prices went down dramatically. And that's, uh, that's directly due to this increase of production you see. Uh, there were a lot of measures with fracking that were pushed back then and uh, still controversial, um, but prices did fall. And um, then you see when Trump took over, production spiked for a long time and then fell off a cliff. And what you see there was specifically uh, COVID in action. You know, when the demand fell, so did supply. Um, so um, we see it ramping back up, permits uh, coming over from the Trump era into the Biden era. Uh, permits did spike, but then, then they fell off pretty dramatically. So our production still hasn't hit that high of uh, around 13,000 barrels. We were also um, we're also in the, pro in the process of uh, the trade agreement between Mexico, Canada, and the United States um, becoming our own oil power. So that was the ultimate goal there, to have kind of North American energy independence, uh, energy independence. So not just uh, the United States, but Canada and Mexico as well. We were going to try to work together to make a North American version of OPEC and uh, try to offset um, any kind of blackballing that they would do. So if you remember, especially in the Obama years, you'd hear a lot about OPEC, a lot more than you do now. And during that period, um, you would definitely see or uh, hear a lot on the news about OPEC raising prices or um, our ambassador or Obama himself uh, calling OPEC and trying to um, arrange a deal there. And OPEC was really playing hardball. So when you see uh, these production numbers ramp up uh, around 2014, the gas prices really started to fall because um, OPEC was trying to blackball us. They were trying to raise their production to lower the price of oil per barrel to shut down that early North American production. So uh, it really uh, benefited us in the long term. And we can see production is kind of escalating, going back up a little bit from the COVID numbers, but they still haven't rebounded from the peak of the Trump years. Um, so that is an issue. Um, then we also have natural gas production. So let's go over here. We see natural gas production rising, rising, rising. So this would be when Trump took office, 
and they peaked and then right around the COVID time dropped off a cliff again, less, uh, less demand supply dropped accordingly. And we still haven't rebounded, even though, um, everything's pretty much opened back up. We still haven't recovered from where we were. Um, and again, when you have less supply, but demand has increased back to where it was or near where it was, um, we're just not quite there. Um, the prices will go up naturally. So uh, a big thing people point to uh, when talking about this whole gas price debate would be uh, one of the cornerstones, just one of the big talking points would be the Keystone Pipeline. So the, the Keystone Pipeline wasn't uh, just an American project. It was uh, an American project along with Canada. And uh, it, I would say it was probably about one-fourth of the pipeline was completed when it was axed. Um, I myself had a lot of friends that had gone out to help do some contract work in uh, establishing this pipeline. And uh, day one, when Biden came in office, issued an executive order, uh, one of his first, and it axed the pipeline. And uh, that cut a lot of contractors. Um, I believe it was around 11,000 jobs, um, somewhere near there, that were cut because of this pipeline cancellation. That's controversial because, you know, we were still back in the midst of this COVID period. So people were already hurting for money. And then we cut 11,000 jobs. So let's see, I got the Keystone Pipeline map here. So it was going to uh, run all the way up from Canada, all the way down to Houston. And uh, you see almost 1,200, or I guess 1,700 mile um, pipeline total, um, almost 1,200 uh, just straight pipe from Houston up to Hardesty, somewhere like that. Uh, so we already have the uh, original Keystone in place. This would have been an expansion. And uh, not only did it hurt jobs throughout uh, any of these expansion and links, it also hurt jobs up in Canada. So this wasn't just a United States thing. It also hurt the Canadian economy, which is kind of wild that you had the president come in and without any legislation just goes ahead and drops an executive order and kills all these jobs. Now, I'm not going to get too far on the political side of that, but... Um, you know, cutting jobs is never something anyone wants to do, but uh, we seem more than willing to do that here. But uh, myself having friends that were uh, cut from this project, it is a little personal uh, because these guys were just told to pack up and go home. Uh, they moved, left their jobs from around where I lived, uh, moved out to Texas, and all of a sudden they were sent home. Uh, there was no severance. There was no backup job. Uh, I know Joe Biden likes to say, well, you know, these guys could learn to code, you know, or these guys could transfer to the uh, solar and the renewables industry. But the skills that it takes to work in this industry, that skill set doesn't easily transfer over to the renewables industry. And it wasn't like they had these jobs lined up for people. That was another empty promise. And uh, learning to code isn't an option for everyone. Um, as wonderful as that would be, uh, it's, it just takes a certain mindset and not one that everyone has. And also it's not a job field that everyone would enjoy. Um, it can be some really tedious work. So um, 
I don't know. We can see it here. They, they had about 330 miles of it constructed. Uh, there have been some oil executives come out and say if it was reapproved, they think they could pick it up and uh, get it completed pretty quickly. So we'll see where they go there. Uh, when Pete Buttigieg, I believe he's the Department of Transportation Secretary, um, when he was asked about if they could reopen it or reinstate the Keystone Pipeline, he said they didn't want a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that um, for multiple reasons. Um, not only would it be a solution or a partial solution to our energy issues, it could also supply a lot of jobs. And even if they're only temporary, that's experience that these people can take. Those are connections they can make with these companies. And there will still be a crew around to maintain the pipeline. So once it's completed, not all of these people will be just sent home. Uh, some people will be kept around to maintain the pipeline. And uh, job creation is what we should be all about, um, doing as much as we can domestically, because as we've learned during COVID and as we've learned during this crisis in Ukraine and perhaps uh, one in Taiwan uh, here shortly, relying on international production, this globalist strategy isn't always the smartest thing because as soon as there's any kind of interruption um, in other parts of the world, you can see negative effects. So let's go. Do, do, do. This uh, Keystone Pipeline um, is Biden destroying 11,000 11, jobs by revoking Keystone Pipeline. PolitiFax ruling half true. So um, what they go on to say here is that a lot of these people are contracted, so they weren't necessarily uh, permanent jobs. But um, anytime you get a half true rating or half false, you know it can be a little ambiguous, um, especially depending on which side of the aisle they're coming from. But I mean, if you go back and look at the date, this is right after uh, the inauguration. So this was uh, a pretty big deal then. And a reason why they went ahead and push this along um, is because it was for environmental purposes. Now, a big deal, um, a big thing when we like to talk about these environmental purposes, uh, we remember the, um, well, I guess numerous, uh, like Exxon Valdez, uh, we had the BP oil spill. We think of these helpless pictures of these penguins and these seagulls covered in oil. You know, that's offshore drilling. Um, that's uh, tankers, tanker vessels coming over the ocean or coming over from wherever, bringing in oil. Uh, when those accidents happen, it's really hard to contain the spill when it's on the open ocean. So you have um, a real big downside to filling these vessels and sending them across the open ocean or um, through any of these canals. There's also the additional shipping cost and there's the environmental impact of these tanker vessels. So I wouldn't say that's very environmentally friendly. Another way is tanker trucks. Well, the more tanker trucks you have, they're also burning diesel out there on the open roads. Uh, they're adding traffic. They're adding that, uh, that pollution anywhere they go. Uh, also increased risk of traffic, traffic accidents. And, uh, you know, spills could be anywhere. They could be in your neighborhood, in your city, wherever. Um, so again, tanker trucks, I would not say environmentally friendly. Then we also have rail, which rail, not too bad. 
Um, but again, the accidents for rail uh, can be pretty bad. Um, numerous events of these, uh, these trains uh, having accidents, derailing, leaking, whatnot. Um, and then the trains, once again, not electric as at, at this moment. So they're also putting off emissions. So that's why, and a lot of other people think that pipelines are one of the best ways to go. And I believe 73% of oil is transported by pipeline. So it is the most common way to transport oil. Um, but also these pipelines are usually through um, not very inhabited places. They're not like they're out on the beachfront. They're not going to ruin some tourist uh, destination. You're not going to see these penguins and seagulls covered in oil because there's not a lot of penguins and seagulls near pipelines. Um, also, there's not moving parts. Um, there's not, you know, you, there's not a tanker truck involved. There's not um, a, there's not a tanker uh, vessel like a ship involved. So these pipelines are a much safer way to transport oil. And if they do have leaks, they can be localized. Um, they have the ability to shut down certain sections of the pipeline. And so uh, keeping the spill or keeping these accidents localized is very important. Um, I think that's something uh, that we really need to uh, focus on and hit on. Um, let's uh, look at this other chart here. This one's much smaller, but uh, we'll take a look at it. So we have the price charts. We have, again, prices going up almost across the board, but this is just for today. If we go over here and look at through the years, we have a uh, price of crude down to $48, back up to 73. That was, I believe, probably during the trade war with China. We have it dropped down to 45. This is uh, US crude. And we have it uh, just staying around 50. And then we have the plummet. So this was during the peak of COVID. So right after March, nobody was out on the roads, lots of lockdowns, uh, price just dumped because we we did have that ramp up in production and uh everything else dropped um the supply dropped so again cost dropped um and then uh again we have it building back up we have trump leaving office at 50 and ever since then up 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 and let's go february 25th at 91 dollars so it had gone from hovering around 50 to 91 before Putin had ever even entered into Ukraine. So this saber rattling, this, this saying, you know, Putin uh, price hike, whatever, not true. That's, the, that's something a lot of people are trying to put out there. That's something the White House is pushing because in response to the Biden price hike hashtag, uh, we're trying to push the Putin price hike. Not necessarily true. But we do see when they entered into Ukraine, the price did spike. It went up to about, what, 120 around there? And we can't necessarily get a ride up there. But yeah, spiked. And it's gone back down a little bit. It is back. Uh, it is, yeah, we, we see it did go down a little bit, but now it's on its way back up, 113. So on the bright side, for two weeks in a row, the price of crude oil did drop for a little bit. So we didn't see those continuing price hikes. Um, one thing that uh, I noticed is that the prices jumped, uh, you know, three, it was around 329, went up to 369, 389, and it was like 420 something. And then it dropped back down to, I believe across the road is 389 again. Um, so that was good to see, but prices again are on the march back up. 
uh, as they do correspond with the price of crude oil. Um, there's a, um, you know, crude oil doesn't directly dictate the cost of gas, but it's a big factor because it also has to come to refineries within the United States. And so there, there's another process that happens and you actually get, uh, I believe, more product uh, than just the barrels of oil because there are, there's a lot of byproduct, there's a lot of additives. And so um, it's a complex process, but again, it's pretty tied into uh, the, pro the cost of crude oil. <clears throat> and uh, another thing that's being pushed out right now is there's that push to There's that push to um, ramp up drilling, and drilling has increased over the last month or so. Um, so that's that is a bright spot. But the the White House is coming out and saying that there's 9,000 outstanding permits. These companies could go ahead and start drilling, but there are um, subsequent approvals that they have to go through, and that's not what necessarily what they're talking about. Uh, let's go ahead and share this part. This is what I actually wanted to do, sharing this part. So uh, coming into the Biden administration, uh, coming off of Trump, there actually was an increase in, in uh, permits, but then that's tapered off as the administration's gone on. So a big part of that um, coming into 2021 was um, COVID. You know, we had the, the decrease in demands. We had the decrease in supply. So there was a big spike coming back into summer of last year. But now we see the, the permits being issued and the permits um, that are approved has declined pretty steadily. And then we have our low point here in January of, uh, January of this year. Now we have uh, had that increase in operations coming off of February. Uh, there was a two-week boost in drilling operations, so a uh, round of applause there because that's what we need. We need more domestic supply, but we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, again, going back to the president doesn't set the gas prices, the president's actions can directly affect the price of gas. People like to point to other countries also struggling with these issues. A lot of those countries don't have the ability to have a domestic supply. A lot of these countries are smaller than some of the states that we have in the uh, USA. So they don't have this wide, vast land to drill from and access like we do. They say we have somewhere around 100 years, probably more, in oil reserves here. If everything is going renewable in the uh, short term, we're not going to need as much of that petroleum. So we need to access that now while we need it. Um, this isn't something that we need to worry about a hundred years from now. And the bonus thing is, you know, we have plastics and everything else that are made with uh, petroleum. If we go ahead and burn that off, there won't be a lot of plastics to make. So that should be a win for all the environmentalists. At least you would think so. Um, there are a lot of places where we can, um, bridge, uh, some gaps, make some compromise. Um, I believe the future is in renewables, um, not necessarily wind energy, but I'm really excited about geothermal. Um, solar, uh, they're having advancements. You hear about new ad advancements every day. Um, so that's something that I'm really excited about. But when people are worried about paying $4, $3.80 for gas, the solution isn't to tell them to go out and buy a $60,000 electric vehicle. In response to more demand, 
Tesla even raised their prices and for the quality of vehicle that you get with Tesla, uh, which is usually pretty high. I know they have some quality um, assurance issues, but uh, for the for the pretty high standard of a Tesla vehicle, the prices have been pretty low, um, but they've they've hiked their prices just in response to this uh, surge in demand. Because again, where there's supply, the, uh, where there's demand, the supply has to match and they're um, not as large as a company as Toyota or General Motors. So they can't reach that, that level of supply, not yet anyway. And um, the prices were raised in accordance. And uh, again, uh, inflation across the board doesn't just affect uh, gas and oil prices. It also affects food prices and it affects car, car prices. Uh, new car prices have gone up and used car prices have gone up. Uh, before you could buy a car, drive it off the lot and the value would depreciate. But if you purchased a used car in the last year or two, there's a chance that the car is worth more now than it was when you purchased it. Um, demand just across the board uh, or the supply just isn't really there, but the demand still is. Um, companies like General Motors and Ford are having to ship out their vehicles unfinished because they don't have the, the they don't have the parts yet they don't have the microchips to complete these vehicles so they're having to go wait on lots to have the have those last parts have the microchips shipped in and installed um so there's a lot of uh, there's still some of that uh, those supply chain issues but a lot of this was created ourselves through policy and uh we really need to open the floodgates um this isn't a time to sit on our thumbs and stagnate. Uh, the more things we can do domestically, the better. Um, you know, we say we have a labor shortage, but it's, um, it's a matter of having a um, decent job shortage, having decent paying jobs. And jobs in the energy industry and the construction industry for things like pipelines pay pretty decently. That's why my friends packed up and moved as soon as the offer came in. Uh, they were going to make good money on this Keystone contract and then we're told to go home. So uh, th this is a time where we could really focus on our country and um, not just the energy sector, but it would benefit the whole workforce because if there's people competing for these higher paying jobs, it opens up jobs for other people and uh, just all around very productive and uh, I, would, I think would be very beneficial. I've been talking this whole time like I was on camera, but I've just been looking at this permit map. Um, that's pretty much what I wanted to cover. Um, I can't really go into this uh, very much further without talking in circles, um, but we'll try to get another one up soon. Uh, may even record another one today. Uh, we'll see how that schedule goes, but we have a big move coming up. Um, I'll be uh, heading out on a little bit of a um, vacation, I would say, but um, it's going to be a very busy vacation. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see. Maybe we can get another podcast up in that time. Um, plans are ever changing. I'd like to thank everybody for the support on the first two podcasts. It's been great. Um, just been really busy lately between school, certifications, work. Um, it's a, a wild time, a lot of wild things happening in the world. We've got March Madness. You have NASCARs back. Um, the USL, the USFL is about to kick off. Um, so, and then I have this guy 
to uh, worry about and contend with. But um, if you guys have any questions, you guys have any thoughts, uh, feel free to post uh, comments to it, respond, uh, hit me up on my email, Facebook, I don't care. Um, but we are now approved for video podcast on Spotify and Anchor. So there'll be a video version available on Spotify as well as YouTube. Uh, we're available on Anchor, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcast, and YouTube. And uh, won't be long to we're on Apple Music. Uh, their whole system's broken right now. Uh, not surprised being an Apple product that's not um, based on like software. Because their software team's pretty good. Um, the engineering behind their M1 chip is amazing. The engineering behind their whole drive reformatting software, fantastic, second to none. Um, but when it comes to operating systems and their online presence, not a fan. But uh, thank you guys for joining. Just to reiterate, uh, you know, we've been going over um, these prices. Um, it's something that impacts everyone. Uh, we've had Joe Biden say that he's not going to raise taxes on anyone making less than, I believe, 400000 but inflation is a tax on everyone, and it's a tax that affects poor people the most, because when you're trying to live paycheck to paycheck, or when you're trying to make the most of your dollar, suddenly groceries that cost 80 now cost 120 You know, it cost $30 to fill up my vehicle, and now it's in the mid-60s. Um, that affects real people. That affects uh, everyday people. So um, just be smart and let's try to get through this together. And um, there's only one person that can that we can really take confidence in in this situation. So uh, make sure to um, pray about it, pray about the crisis in Ukraine, the people that are affected. Um, I'd like to thank uh, all these countries overseas for taking in these refugees um, they've really stepped up. That's something that we could be doing in the United States. We accepted around, I believe, 75,000 refugees from Afghanistan, and the vetting process was horrible, but we've refused so far to take in these um, immigrants from Ukraine. So really questionable there. Um, a lot of charities out there you can donate to. Ukrainian Red Cross, the American Red Cross is helping out, UNICEF. Um, there's several orphanages out over there in Ukraine. Um, these orphanages were partially funded. I believe 50% of their funds came from the Ukrainian government. And so while they're involved in this conflict, or if the government turns over, these orphanages will lose half of their funding. So super important. Um, I just uh, urge people to look into that. That's uh, something that's uh, really um, close to my heart because uh, being in that situation is unimaginable. And um these people need our help and uh, need to be in our thoughts and prayers. So um, if everyone can just um, take some time out of their day and focus on that for a bit, that'd be fantastic. Uh, once again, thank you for joining the extraneous and miscellaneous podcast um, may have some guests on here in the near future. So be looking forward to that. And uh, if anyone else wants to jump on the podcast and has something they want to talk about, feel free. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys next time.